0: Hey you, welcome to Tea Talk, a space to share the therapy tea. I'm Shalene, your host, and I hope you'll join me each week as we sit down to share tips, stories, and conversations on getting better emotionally, recovering from trauma, and improving your overall quality of life. I want to remind everyone that even though podcasts can feel therapeutic, they are definitely not a replacement for therapy. Please, at any point, if you feel the need to take a break because the content is too heavy please do that and take care of yourself. Also, if you're loving this podcast, please do me a favor and leave me a review, share your reflections with me on Instagram and share it with a friend who needs to hear it. All right. So I'm ready. You're ready. And we're friends now. So go ahead and sit down, cozy up and let's get ready for today's episode.
1: Want to chat? Have a question for me? A comment on today's episode, maybe? Click the link in the show notes to send me a message. It's quick and easy. Talk to you soon. All right. I am here with my guest for the week. Hello, Montoya. Say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Hello to the people. I'm so excited to sit here and chat with you. And before I logged on, I was thinking, okay, real talk, everybody. The podcast, like 50% is for all of you. Other 50% is I get to talk to really cool people and make more friends. And then we get to hang out because our lives are so busy. Like if we don't put it on our calendar, it doesn't happen. Right. So I thought, yay, today I get to hang out with Montoya. This is awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. I have so much to talk about. So let me just back up a little bit. I talked about going to Nashville earlier this year, and I went to the Not Your Typical Psychotherapist conference. That's where I met Montoya. And I listened to her talk. She was one of the closing speakers at the conference, and her presentation was called Bougie Boundaries. And I was like, "Okay, I definitely have to get in here. And you spoke to so many things that I just didn't really know I needed to hear. So there were parts of me that felt kind of called out, like, "Okay, she gets it. And parts of me that were just like, I don't know, I felt like you kind of opened a can of um, information that I had a lot of questions about. And then in reading your bio and coming in for the podcast today, I learned that you are a combat veteran. I knew that you were a mom of two. I knew that you were this entrepreneurial woman who's going out there and like just putting a lot of really your posts on Facebook are helpful. Like, there's just so many different things you're doing. But I want to hear from you first. When you present yourself to somebody or a new group of people, how do you introduce yourself?
2: I tell them that I am Montoya McGowan. I'm a therapist and the owner of Stopping the Chase Counseling and Consulting. I am a full-time entrepreneur for like a year and a half now. Mm -hmm. Um, Before then, I worked for the government for about 13 years as a social worker And so I know what it's like to work two full-time jobs. And I know what it's like to quit a good government job and be a Mm full-time entrepreneur and also a single mom and trying to figure out how to manage life. Um, Most recently in the past year and a half or so, I really owned ADHD. So having ADHD as an entrepreneur and also recovering people pleaser makes me... um, Um, very relatable.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love everything that you're talking about. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what was it? What were some of the things that stuck out the most when you were giving that talk? One of them was, I mean, you're talking about boundaries, and you were talking about how much you were speaking to an audience of therapists, but this relates to therapists, clients, everyone who's in a position where they have other people in their life, which are most humans. So you were talking about like, the places in which you go out of your way to serve other people and it ends up being like a self sacrifice. And so somewhere in there you talked about you talked about people pleasing and you say, you know, that this is your specialty, this is really really you help people. And somewhere in that talk I heard codependency and I in prepping for today's episode, I've been reflecting on it and I have to be honest, I don't really know a lot about codependency as uh-huh. a therapist. Like this is going to be one of those I'm today years old when I found out that I might struggle with some of these things. And when you were talking about some of the like, if you're struggling in this way, you might know. I feel like in my life, I've known codependency more from a feeling. Like if you feel it, you know what it feels like. It doesn't feel good. As opposed to being able to define, oh, these are my codependency behaviors. These are my people-pleasing behaviors. And you said before we came on the show today that people mostly can identify with people-pleasing. They don't really know what codependency is. Can you talk a little bit about that like how do people even know when they're struggling in that
0: way
2: so i think that society has cultivated people pleasing and so codependency hides under being a good mom it hides under being a good employee um we are the rescuers we're the helpers we're the nurturers well the we are the problem solvers and we do it to the point to where we forget to put ourselves on the list And people talk about burnout, but you don't realize that burnout is the extreme of codependency. It's the extreme Mm -hmm. of, you know, what I like to call Jesus Jr. When we have exhausted ourselves with doing (laughs) for everybody else, and then we're made to feel guilty for taking care of us. To the point to where we feel guilty if we put ourselves on the list Mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. So we, we are... We are cultivated people pleasers. The church cultivates people pleasers. Relationships cultivate people pleasers. You know, the the stay-at-home mom or the one that doesn't work as much or doesn't contribute financially as much, then, you know, you pull your weight by doing other stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So your value comes up in how you do for other people, basically.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And really... Right. What I'm hearing too is like the more that you neglect yourself, the more you're winning in that category, which is really problematic.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Which is where, you know, that's where self-care derived from, from people trying to convince themselves that it's okay to take care of themselves first. And how that shows up in my target audience, the people that I love, love, love working with are entrepreneurs who struggle with codependency. We're entrepreneurs who struggle with people pleasing. Um, We're good at problem solving. We're providing a service. We are customer service driven and it's great, except sometimes we do it to the point to where it's exhausting for us and it affects some some therapist or even just anybody like my ex-husband. He's a barber. He would work on Christmas Eve. He would work on Christmas Day. He would work at four and five o'clock in the morning because he was worried that he would miss out. Not knowing that if you're valuable enough, people will honor the schedule that you set for yourself.
1: Hmm. Yeah, this I'm being very aware of my Wanting to ask questions for the purpose of the podcast, but also being like, oh, I just felt that in my bones and I need to process that. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is not your therapy session, Sheileen. Okay, keep
0: going. Keep asking questions.
1: Tell me about how you got involved in this work. You said that you are a recovering people pleaser. And your your business, your practice is called Stopping the Chase. Where is Stopping the Chase come from? How did you come up with that? So
2: I came up with Stopping the Chase because one time I read this book called 10 Things That Every Happy Woman Knows. And I, I didn't know those 10 things. I can't remember what all of them were, but they were all pretty much taking care of you first Your happiness is your own responsibility. Your feelings and emotions belong to you. And happiness is an inside job. And this was before I became a therapist and before I even knew what codependency or people pleasing was. And so I started to go to therapy for myself because I was struggling with issues with PTSD and I didn't know that's what it was. And I started to think about how we chase people, places, things for us nerds, we chase accolades, we chase certifications, we chase trainings, things that we feel like will add value to us. And those things don't really add value to us unless we feel like we're valuable, whether we have those things or not. So stopping Mm -hmm. the chase, the emotional chase of chasing people, places, and things that we think will make us happy and learning to cultivate our own happiness from the inside out.
1: How did you learn? I'm wondering what that moment of insight was for you, especially as someone who you, you've spent a long time being a therapist. Like, that part's not new to you. But what was it like for you? And what had to happen for you to realize, oh, okay, I might this might be me, the light bulb moment of I, I'm doing the people-pleasing thing?
2: I had to get a divorce. Mm, Because when we, yeah, when we were married, I thought that once we are husband and wife, there's a switch that flips on to where now he's responsible for my happiness. And he would try to go out there and try to do stuff and come back. It's like, does this make you happy? I'm like, no, that don't work either. Go out again and come back. (laughs) And... (laughs) Nobody told me it until I started reading books. And so <laughs> when we got a divorce, I was like, wait, so who's supposed to like try to go out and do this stuff for me? And I realized that it was Grab me. My happiness. It was never, yeah, it was never his responsibility. And I apologized to him for that too. And I explained to him that I just, I just didn't know. And he didn't know either. But yeah, I had to be by myself to learn that my quality of life is my own responsibility. And then learning to recognize my feelings and be responsible for them and start to try to cultivate the kind of energy that I want to show up in a room. Nobody can do that for me.
1: Wow. I'm I'm wondering how somebody who struggles with codependency or people pleasing, whatever you call it, how, how what's the recipe for that? Like, how do they get born? So you're saying like, The church can contribute to this or um, Uh the society expectations on women and mothers like these all contribute to us being in a place where the only way that we have value is based on how much we give of ourselves to others. So I'm wondering, like, what are the things that contribute to that? What are the things that have that contributed to you that you've uncovered through your own work and therapy and things like that?
2: My mom was uh, had been 15 for a year and for a month when she had me. And so I think that some children learn how to be attuned to other people and to their environment in order to like we're in crisis management training on a regular basis. I was the oldest child. I was the daughter of, you know, a teenage mom. I was also raised partly by my grandparents. And so I think those things just kind of, and then my personality, and then I'm a Capricorn, so I'm a great problem solver. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a little of this, a little yeah. Capricorn energy and bam.
2: Yeah, just a I little bit I fix of it for you. <laughs> <laughs> and if I can't fix it, I know somebody that can. <laughs> and so... I think a little bit of my personality also is that I can totally be a know-it-all because I like to know stuff. Mm -hmm. And those things together, I think, just kind of mixed me up into being a great candidate for a people pleaser and codependent. Mm -hmm. But what I also realized is, and that's where the PTSD from being a combat veteran, it was kind of like a gift because in order for us to be great clinicians, we don't need feelings. Our feelings are not in the room. So we can totally disconnect and we can help usher other people into their feelings. And then when we leave, we're like, yeah, I don't need, I don't have time for feelings either. So Um. (laughs) (laughs) let
1: me just completely dissociate myself from being and everything should be fine. It's one of my superpowers,
2: (laughs) you know, but in your personal life, you can't really do that. You got to figure out how to, you know, plug back in and the best way to plug back in is with feelings. And a lot of people pleasers, we don't connect with real true feelings. We're great at surface level stuff, but Mm -hmm. to say that I feel left out or to say that I feel lonely We would never. Vulnerable stuff. Ew. Ooh.
1: Hmm. This is really important for me to consider later and come back to it another time for myself, but I've never really, I never really thought about that. I was having therapy yesterday in all transparency, and I was thinking, I was talking about coming up on this episode and thinking about codependency because I really hadn't thought about it until you spoke about it. It just... You know, as a therapist, I hear about codependency, Uh but I just, you know, it's not like my area of expertise, so it's nothing I ever really dug into. And I was talking in therapy yesterday about how um, I noticed this pattern with myself when someone goes through something rough, like it doesn't matter how many degrees of separation there are between me and this person, I want to go in and do something for them. Uh And I was really proud. This is what I said to Karen yesterday. I said, well, I'm really proud that I noticed my, like, I noticed the urge to do that. And I was like, okay, Shailene, like, this isn't the time for that. Like, the degrees of separation are too much between you and this person to then go ahead and go above and beyond and do something. You just send them love and compassion, and that's enough. Like, you don't have to run in and try and save people from their hard feelings. And I think that's something I realized in therapy is that it's hard for me to tolerate watching other people be in pain. And I'm telling you, like, on the one hand, and I think this is what you've said, there are a lot of these qualities that can seem really great. Like, Shailene will drop anything and do what she needs to do for you. And it's like, okay, yeah, that makes me a great friend. But on the other side, like, what my husband sees is me, like, emotionally depleting myself. And I'm talking, like, a more extreme example would be whenever there's, like, a big tragedy I get sucked into the lives of the individual like when the Chicago shooting happened uh-huh. I was like oh my god this poor child like what's the last thing he saw where can I donate should I repost who should I send this to and it gets to this point of like I'm trying to I'm trying to regulate myself without by like the disruption that happens when I see other people's pain uh-huh. and I want to go in and do something And then I, and yesterday in therapy, as I was talking about it, I was like, you know, Shaylene, like there's just going to be pain in the world and you're going to have to send out love and compassion. And that's going to have to be enough because there's going to be pain in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. So in thinking about all of this, like I'm connecting to what you're saying around, yeah, that's not something I don't really highlight being vulnerable. And I think that's another thing is being able to run in and do things for other people will distract me from having to sit with pain.
2: It's a great distractor. I used to clean to distract myself. And now I have learned how to trust God for other people Mm. without me having to do anything. And Mm -hmm. I still get to maintain value. And I'm still a decent person if I don't give, if I don't contribute, if I don't have some type of conversation about it. Because that's how we get burnt out fast and often. Mm-hmm. And it's not really fair to the people that love us, because they're like, hey, <laughs> I want to sit and yes. watch TV with you.
1: Yeah, but you're like, I can't because I have to save these children mm-hmm. in another country or something like mm-hmm. you just get stuck. At least like that's what it I think that's what it shows up as for me. Again, I'm, I feel like I'm just learning about this. And it's not a surprise to me for someone to say, Shailene, you know, I think you struggle with some perfectionistic people pleasing behaviors. And then at the same time, it's just something like codependency. I don't know. Those words are – you're I, you're right. Like, that's not something that I think most people really connect to or relate to. But I think if you say perfectionism and people-pleasing, people really get that. Why do you think that is? Like, what's up with the words codependency? Where does that come from?
2: Um, because codependency sounds like I'm kind of dependent on somebody else.
1: It does. It's got like an icky vibe.
2: Yeah, but that's not really what it means, but kind of it does. Because if mm-hmm. I take care of you, then I'm depending on you to reward me for looking out for you. Ugh.
1: I don't like it. I know. <laughs> And you're and, and even just saying like oh I'm a perfectionist. It's like there's stuff in there that other people can reinforce. Like oh give it to Shailene, she's gonna get it done. Yeah, or she's gonna get it done. I'm like well yeah, I'm a perfectionist. Like of course I'm getting it perfectionist, done.
2: Perfectionist that feels easier. F- yeah, it's an illusion. Perfectionist. Yeah, does perfection doesn't even exist. <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> and it's subjective because what's perfect to you, I'm just like girl, we could do more. <laughs> <laughs> <For real. laughs>
0: <laughs> True.
1: Yeah, you were t- you were talking a bit about that, like around people like it. It's reinforcing. There are qualities of it that really do benefit the world, but they don't benefit you. And I'm thinking even the other day, I finished reading this book called Burnout. And they did this study that was talking about, they were talking about like, what are the essential in- ingredients for every human to be mentally and emotionally okay? Mm-hmm. And it's like, breaks up your day, this much percent is like family connection, this much you spend on work, this is what you spend on sleeping rest. But one of them was exercise and sleep, I think all went in the same category. And they were talking about um, a study on how guilty women feel for sleeping. Mm -hmm. And they were like, but why don't we treat that as if you're feeling guilty for breathing air because you need it, but you still feel guilty for doing it or guilty for exercising and, and you know, moving your body around. And I was like... Oh, yeah, that's true. But I do. I feel guilty when I sleep in and I feel guilty when I like take time outside of my family's day to go work out. So
2: yeah, I can understand
1: how that happens.
2: And culture and society and also, you know, depending on where you grew up and who you grew up with on the weekends, how dare you sleep in at eight o'clock? Mm-hmm. Get up and do yeah. something like why can't I lay yeah. around all day?
1: Yeah, yeah hmm. But when Even I found just doing out something. Yeah. When like, I
2: found out that sleeping helped you lose weight, I was like, oh, yeah, I got to sleep. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going See to sleep you tomorrow. again. tomorrow. gotta go to bed
1: early. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about Jesus Jr. and the concept of Jesus Jr. for those who haven't heard?
2: I I really, I do not promote divorce, but it was so pivotal for me because that was when I was starting to learn more about myself. And if I didn't have that time period in life, I don't think, I know definitely I wouldn't be here. And I was worried that if I made the decision to leave, that he wouldn't be okay. Like Mm -hmm. he wouldn't know where to pay the utility bill. And Mm -hmm. the kids wouldn't have a certain quality of life that I felt like they should. He would. But I had decided that he wouldn't. And I heard a voice say, how selfish of you. You trust me for you, but you won't trust me for him. And I was like, am I trying to be a Jesus Jr.? Because I, I, I do trust God for me. I trust Jesus for me. And I like, I know he hooks me up on a regular basis. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't I like trust him, trust God for him? And I said, yeah, I can be Jesus Jr. I, that's a lot of work. And I just, I, I don't want to. And so that was when I started to learn to like trust him for other people. Because sometimes we insert ourselves in other people's lives when they have something going on and sometimes they didn't ask us, sometimes mm-hmm. they don't want us to. And sometimes it's just not something that we should be focused on because it's taken away from what we need to be doing. And so mm-hmm. trusting God, trusting the universe, trusting that person to take care of themselves without us having to be Jesus Jr. Like we're standing in the gap. And I would tell my clients sometimes like, Well, wow, they don't even need to have faith because they can just call you. <laughs> <laughs> all <Called> out. <laughs> Seen, heard, all of
1: those uh-huh. things. I'm thinking about how even you said it distracts you from doing things that you have to do and taking care of yourself, but it also distracts, like it it messes with the flow of somebody's process of working through something. If right. you're always running in and you're like, let me do this for you. It's interesting. When I was an intern, I was trained in gestalt therapy, which uh-huh. is like very here and now, and everything matters. And I was a part of a group. And the group, it was very interesting because, like, I'm coming in as this cute little intern who's clearly going to save everyone's lives immediately. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you know, like 21 years old. And And I'm in this group with like everyone's in their probably like their 50s. And the guy who's running the group's been doing this, I don't know, since I was born. So there was a a night one night where somebody was crying and I got up and I gave, I brought tissues over to them. And so then later on, you know, him and I and supervision are kind of processing what happened in group. And he was like, well, why did you get up and bring the tissues over? And I was like, well, they were crying like they needed tissues. And he was like, well, did they need tissues? Like, you actually don't know if they needed tissues. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, that was a really – and, again, it's like, did I do something wrong? Like, you know, not necessarily. But – and I think that's the thing most people would do. They would get up and give tissues. But, like, to think that – what you're saying, they might not need it. They might not want it. That might represent something else for them. And to to go in and to kind of, like, take care of it in some ways sends the message of, like, even if I didn't want to, which I didn't, it's like – clean this up. This is like, move on from this. Like, here you go. Take care of yourself. When it's like, maybe they could have just sat there and cried and that would have been fine for them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think the other thing is like, when we jump in with other people, when they're suffering, we might be messing with their, their grief process, their healing process, their recovery process, whatever that might be. I think for other people, that's something to pay attention to is when you're jumping in, when you see somebody struggling, that even though you may have the best intentions, it's really a, a time to sit and pause <laughs> because you might be mm-hmm. interrupting the flow of their grief or their healing or whatever their process needs to look like for them.
2: Yeah, because we, as codependent people, we are great at anticipating somebody else's needs. It's what makes us a great mom, a great sister, a great significant other. But sometimes maybe a person doesn't want. A clinics maybe they just want to wipe with the back of their hand or with their shirt and but it's just an opportunity to say hey um you want some clinics or give them the opportunity to ask for what they need
1: true even that too it's um i imagine i know for myself and the little bit that i feel like i have been aware of and working on it's hard to change because some of that feels so ingrained like you mm-hmm. don't i don't stop to think before offering somebody the Kleenex, like, hey, do you want this? I just go. And so I'm curious about, like, what tips do you have for people who are, are sitting with this and they're identifying it and they want to make changes, but it feels so, like, second nature to them?
2: hmm One tip that I like to use is, I don't want to curse, but you know how people say you manage your Fs? Mm-hmm. So, you can
1: curse. <laughs> oh, okay. So I'll tell people to,
2: you know, manage your fucks. Yeah. Um, when you start out in the morning, you have 10 fucks. Who do you give those 10 fucks to? For somebody who's deep in codependency, I'm like, okay, I'm we're going to start you out with 15. Um, but you got 15 <laughs> fucks during the day. How many mm-hmm. fucks do you give those out to other people? And mm-hmm. how many of them do you reserve for yourself? Because if you give out all 10 of them, then... That means at the end of the day, you don't have any for you. Hmm. I have a client who um, was telling me that a couple of her friends noticed that her personality is starting to change and that they don't like it. And they were saying that her level of nonchalantness has made them feel uncomfortable.
1: The change. What comes yeah. after? Mm, yeah. They don't like it.
2: Uh-uh. And so she said, I'm just doing better at managing my fucks. So everybody's, everything is not getting my attention. And I said, aren't you proud? Because now people are noticing that they have to save themselves or that they have to take care of themselves and that you're not going to run to their rescue every time. The thing about that, though, is it comes with some level of grief in your relationships. The dynamics of some important relationships could change Because when you're an emotional caregiver for more than one person, you're tired all the time. Mm -hmm. So learning how to manage your fucks, (laughs) you can't have zero. Because zero is like zero is is just not acceptable. Because that means that you're not even on the list. You're at the bottom. You're on the ground. Yeah, yeah. But just paying attention to everything that you you know insert yourself into. Another thing is. When you are thinking about doing something for somebody or saying something, honor the pause and ask yourself, is this my business? Do I even want to get involved in this? Do I really care? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should I even be doing something? What else am I doing? What el- if, what if If I say yes to them, what am I saying no to for me? If I say yes to taking on an extra client, That means I'm saying no to going to the movies with my daughter. And I told her that we would go. Mm. And can I be okay with the fallout from that? Especially if you do it on a regular basis. Yeah.
1: Because then you are in the negatives. Like you're not even at zero. You're sub fucks and you got nothing.
2: I like sub fucks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because if
1: you... And I'm I'm thinking about clients that I've had who I've worked with who are really in it, who are just... You know, and at the end of the day, the sadness that comes with like, man, I'm there for everyone. And then when I need it, I don't get it back. It's not reciprocated. Those, I think, are people who are at the sub level. Like they don't, even, yeah. they're not even at zero. They've given up so much that like they've run themselves down. And then when they needed help, there wasn't anybody to show up. And that's yeah. that's, I mean, that's painful.
2: Or you say, after everything I've done for you, this is how you treat me. Mm. I didn't ask you to do any of those things. You did them because you wanted to. So Mm -hmm. does that mean that I owe you? And, And we're very transactional. We're very transactional. And we make these imaginary contracts with people that did not agree to be a part of the contract. That also ends up in showing up as bitterness, resentment, and anger. Codependent people, we get angry fast. Do what I say, do how I say, do it when I say, do it. Because if you do it right, I won't have to rescue you later.
1: That is something that I hadn't thought about before. Again, if anyone's watching, like the the video of this, my my eyes are like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, like, this is real life, people happening in front of you. Shaylene is like, oh, maybe I need to think about that. There's like a piece of control in there, mm-hmm. like let me. Yeah, let me do this for you because it's going to be done right and I don't have time to show you anything. But then get really upset or resentful when it doesn't work out. But again, then the person sitting there like, well, I never asked you to do this for me in the first place. And the unknowing, invisible contracts that we're holding people to, yes, that hits. I can understand and I know what that feels
2: like. My daughter told me one time that what I heard through the grapevine and the grapevine is her grandma because she tells me some (laughs) of the stuff that they talk about. (laughs) She she said, my mom is so controlling. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm so helpful and nice and considerate and concerned. And she said that I try to do everything and I want everything to be done my way. And I'm just like, that's not true. But then I was thinking, wait, it is true. (laughs) But it's out of love, though. And it's out of good intentions. but. She doesn't want that. She wants me to be there to support her, to encourage her, and kind of be a coach, but not to do things for her because I'm enabling her. And I want mm-hmm. things to turn out the way I think they should turn out. Right.
1: And on your end, you're like, but I'm doing all of the nice, loving things. And she's like, but that's not that's not how it's being received, whether you intended it to be that way or not.
2: Right. Right. So now I have to, I've learned to ask her, what's my role in this conversation? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Because I want to tell you what to do. And then as a mom, I know how this is going to turn out. As a therapist, I'm like, girl, look, this is, I'm telling you. (laughs) So when she says, I just want you to listen, I'll be like, I don't know what to do with my hands. This is so hard for me, but (laughs) I really have to trust God for her. And it's really hard trusting God for somebody that you love when you could just give them two suggestions and they do it and it'll tweak the whole situation.
1: At least we think that's what will happen. We don't know. But in our minds, we're like, mom knows best, therapist knows best. And that happens with clients, too, where I'm like, just Block him. Mm-hmm. Stop talking to him. Mm-hmm. Like, we, let's just, I'll save you money from coming more. Just block him. And then you don't talk to him again. And then we don't even need to be in therapy anymore. But it's like, that's not, number one, it's not easy. It's not that simple. And that's not my journey. Like, my, my work is to help people with their journey. And so highlighting that is really helpful, too, because I think people who are listening to this are going to want to know, well, what are the things that I can do to improve my relationships? And, and people that I'm thinking about that were in the sub fuck level, they're really struggling with having people in their life that are going to be the right people, the people that are going to reciprocate that and respect the output that they give to them. And so I think like because this topic involves humans with other humans and the transaction that occurs between them. It ha- like, inadvertently, it has to damage relationships. Like, how can relationships be healthy and have a good report, you know, at the doctor if one of the people in there is struggling with just pleasing the other person and can't really recognize their worth outside of, well, not outside of themselves, but, like, just within themselves. If they can't find that and they're doing these extra things and they're trying to take care of other people in order to feel okay, mm-hmm. the relationship naturally just, right? Like, it can't mm-hmm. work.
2: Right. The dynamics of the whole relationship is going to is it's going to shift if it doesn't dissolve, because the relationship is kind of fake because it's built off of me doing things to please you so that you will be happy with me. And when I can't do those things, what does that mean for our relationship? And the antidote is really, really simple, but it's really, really hard. And that is connect with your true feelings. How do I really, truly feel about this situation? So every year, I have a different mantra that I focus on. And last year, I, at the end of the year in December, I saw this girl on Instagram said that she focused on vulnerability being her superpower. And I was like, oh, that's cute. I should do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea for you to do. Not, yeah. No, thank you for me. <laughs> <That's cute. laughs> so... I decided it was it was really heavy on my heart and I decided to explore just to see what that looks like. And so this month is month nine of me, uh, the year of vulnerability and vulnerability is my superpower. So vulnerability for me means me identifying how I really, truly feel and then being willing to move through with that feeling and also being willing to be honest with people with how I feel. It's so scary, I've lost relationships because some the dynamics of some relationships have changed, and I'm paying more attention to my connections with people and it's been sad it's been really sad. Yeah. The good news is though the authentic connections have been faster. Because I'm being honest with myself and then being honest with people in the present moment. I've had some really, really tough conversations that I should have had maybe 15, 20 years ago. And I've done a lot of crying. and I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this next year. (laughs) yeah what's next year's mantra gonna be next year's mantra is gonna be like hugs like giving real hugs (laughs) i like that something easy (laughs) or waving at people
1: (laughs) next year's mantra is hugs for everybody
0: Waves yeah. and
2: nods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hello, how are you? Goodbye. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yeah, like I I literally have a list of feeling words in my phone. I have a list of feeling words in my journal to see how I really feel. And with my clients, I have them keep up with the the negative feelings that come up on a regular basis and also paying attention to how certain people make you feel about yourself when you're in their presence. Oh,
1: yes. Another big eyeball moment for me, for anyone who can't see me. I'm like, "Mm -hmm, that would give me a lot of data. Like how do I feel around people and what inform, you know, just what, what am I going to do with that information? If I often leave these conversations feeling bad about myself or, you know, even feeling angry about how I handled things with one particular person, all of this is data to be taking it into consider. And what I think is really cool about what you just said is like, there was a lot of pain. And I think that's really important to acknowledge. Like we can talk about cutting people off or cutting people out and reserving your energy and protecting it. And I feel like that's very in right now. It's like, yeah. he doesn't deserve you. If you don't want that, just keep on moving. And that's great. But what what gets missed is, and then there's going to be a lot of grief and sadness and pain for you to deal with after that. But what's cool about what you said is that like your your quantity of people decreased, but the quality of the people who you kept around mm-hmm. is a lot higher because you are being honest. You are being vulnerable. And you're being able to better monitor like what your output is for these people in keeping those relationships. And so it's like a short-term gain or short-term pain for a long-term gain.
2: Right. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Our feelings help us attract and repel, but we rather much rather attract because repelling doesn't feel good.
1: Mm-hmm. Love that. Okay, so I'm going to recap a couple of things that you said. So for anyone who's identifying with the concepts that we talked about in this episode, so the first tip was to monitor the amount of fucks that you give because you only have so many in a day. You have to have some leftover for yourself. To be okay with the pause, just let the space exist. Don't run into something. Just be in that space first. Ask the people, what is my role right now for you? And to trust in God, in the universe, whatever it is you believe is that like people can take care of themselves and things are going to be okay. And that people will be able to let you know if they need your help. So right. those are all things that I wrote down. I'm going to keep on my post like front and center. So I see them all the time. Let people know how they can find you if they want to read. Like for me, I'm like, just friend her on Facebook. Cause she's always, you're always posting like these little wisdom stories that are very validating and like healing for me to read. So if you're okay with that, I would start there. But where else do people find you?
2: Yeah, um, they can also go to my website at stoppingthechase.com. I'm also on Instagram and uh, on Facebook. And me posting those things help keep me accountable. And they also help me attract people that are for me.
1: Love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on Tea Talk today and sharing all of the tea related to people-pleasing perfectionism, bougie boundaries, and just these tips to, like, make life better. I feel like I had so many people come to mind when you were talking. But to be honest, mostly myself with all of my big eye moments and stuff. So I I feel grateful to I'm just grateful that our paths have crossed and to get to learn more from you. So putting the great stuff out into the world because it's helpful.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: All right. That's today's episode, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Tea Talk. I hope that your cup of tea is full today and that you were able to pull something out of this for yourself. If you know someone that needs to hear this episode, please send it their way and let me know what you're thinking by sending me a message on Instagram. I love hearing from you all and make sure to follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you are loving what you're hearing, please leave me a review and a rating. It would mean so much. All right, friends take good care and I will see you next time.